What's going on, everyone? Hybrid fitness members and flies on the wall who just want to listen in on some health and fitness advice. In this episode of the Hybrid Fitness Embedded Podcast, things get a little deep. I've had uh, I've had almost a day now, almost 24 hours to reflect on this conversation that I had with Dion talking about mental, psychological resilience, endurance, and grit, the importance of it, how difficult it is to attain, as well as my own story of suffering with a lack of that psychological resilience in a way that was damaging, particularly what we talk about today uh, within athletics for me, but of course that bled out into my personal life as well. So in this conversation, Dion and I, uh, Dion and I talk about all things psychology and uh, ways in which I suffered and, and how I managed to turn that around and, and be a better person because of it, a better, a better athlete, a better father, a better son, a better uh, boss, co-worker, <laughs> what, whatever it is that I am to the people around me. <clears throat> uh, it has, without question, made my life uh, much better and made me a, a greater person of value. So I hope you enjoy this podcast, listen in, subscribe, rate, review, all those other things that uh, apparently help this podcast reach more people. You know, for the while, especially like you look at something like weight loss, right? It's like, well, I want to lose 10 pounds. Why? Well, because I want to fit into that, those pants or that dress. Why? Well, because, well, why? So there's probably multiple whys you have. Yeah, and it usually ends up in the same place. And the, the why is that something is missing in their central, you know, happiness, satisfaction, meaning, whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people use physical measures to inappropriately fill that hole, whether it's through weight loss or uh, or like any sort of surgical augmentation Mm -hmm. or like wearing certain clothes or like the thing that I'm going to buy that's going to make me look a certain way. Um, But that, uh, that thirst is typically unquenchable. And it's, I think that's more important to get to someone's why, because, okay, say you want to lose 20 pounds for whatever reason, if you're going to do the work and make the sacrifices and change the necessary behaviors to lose that 20 pounds, wouldn't it be nice if you actually felt better <laughs> when the yeah. day came that you were down 20 pounds? Yeah. But for most people, it's like the it's it's like if I lose 20 pounds, I'm allowed to be I'm allowed to care about myself. I'm allowed to like feel good about myself. So they'll lose 20 pounds and then it'll be like, okay, this feels good for 20 minutes. And then it's like, okay, well now what? Now what am I going to do to fill this hole Mm -hmm. that weight loss was not the answer for? And then it's like, now I need to lose five more pounds. Now I'm like, and it's just that well runs dry pretty quick. Um, So you can exhaust that medium of getting to your why i had a, an interesting comment today like I, I talked to a person who just finished the the challenge and it was like the comment was that you know you, you're used to seeing your before and after photos right and it's usually like you know you're standing there this way and then you turn and you can see weight loss and the comment was why don't you show this picture instead and the picture was of this individual out in their environment right and smiling the sun was out and this individual says this is how I feel after, right? So it's not about, oh, congratulations, you lost 15 pounds or you lost whatever it is. It's like, this is what I started this for. I, I maybe came here thinking I want to lose weight, but at the end of that, that six weeks, this is what I got. I got, you know, I'm standing outside. It's sunny. I feel good about myself. My chest is up. My shoulders are back. I carry myself in a different way. I see myself differently. People see me differently. I came here thinking, uh, you know, you know, lose this much, but this is what I got. So share this with people because I think that's more impactful than, than putting a number up on, on the board. Yeah. So and I what, it, that was great. what I think it is a lot of times when someone says something like people see me differently, mm. 
I don't think that's true at all. I think you've finally removed your negative filter of what you think everyone thinks about you and sees you as. So when you feel better about yourself, when you don't spend time beating yourself up or having that negative self-talk or negative self-image, you just don't have that, you just don't have that fog between you and other people. Because mm-hmm. if you think other people see you in a negative way, that's just you seeing yourself in a negative way and you put that on the on the other people. Mm-hmm. But I think people who succeed in health and fitness and coming to the gym, they might have like a weight loss goal or a superficial goal, but people who are really successful realize that that goal, once they get there, is not as important as they thought it was or definitely not important in the same way where they're like yeah it was nice to lose the weight but that's not really what i got out of it yeah i got out i got out of a completely different set of circumstances than just weight loss yeah but people where it's only about the goal it's only about the weight lost it's only about going down to this pant size those are the people where they're never going to be happy whether they reach that goal or not Mm -hmm. it's got to be about more than just that or it's not something you're going to keep up and you're not going to get that much out of it. There has to be like, there has to be satisfaction in the act of taking care of yourself where like I'm happy because I've started eating better and cooking more and walking more and just like feeling better, having more energy to bring to these different parts of my life. Mm -hmm. Like if the act of taking care of yourself, if the value's not there and it's all goal centric, that's a losing game. 100% of the time you're not going to get much out of that yeah i, I had a, a good friend of mine actually uh he competed a marathon i know i talk about marathons a lot but i think there's <laughs> a lot of uh there's a lot of uh i think there's a lot of it's a very uh practical example of goal setting and the process that you can go through um and the journey that you go through because it's a long journey right there's a lot of times that you fail and there's a lot mm-hmm. of times that you have doubts and everything but you know, in talking with people who who do complete something like that, you know, there's a lot of feedback about the process and falling in love with the process and how important that is. And in fact, at the end of the day, the marathon competing it or completing it, sorry, was just a almost like a an eventuality. But the real value was in the process and how much you learn. You don't only improve as an athlete, but as a person and how many parallels that you could draw to different parts of your life especially professional life like uh holding yourself accountable is one of the big one of those big things and then also um learning about you know what went wrong and and how do i how do i change this uh you could apply that to any any avenue of your life right yeah so for me the big epiphany and the biggest value i got from just exercise Mm -hmm is that I learned, it was the first time in my life that I learned that if I do something more often than not, and even though it's a long road, every day that I put the repetitions in, it builds something. Mm -hmm. And I don't get the immediate reward that most people would like to get out of it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If you could be in perfect shape from working out once, I think most people yeah. would would like to take that. that. Uh, but of course, it takes a very, very long time. But getting in shape or having a certain physique was never the real reward for me. The reward mm-hmm. was I taught myself that if I do something habitually every single day, regardless of how I feel or how how big that contribution is every day I just show up and Mm -hmm. I stack something on top of what I did the day before it turns into something 100% of the time regardless of how quickly you get there or how extreme the result is is less important than if I show up every day and I put work into this area a result is inevitable Mm -hmm. and then I've been able to translate that to every single other piece of my life it's just you need to find the thing that you connect with and for me I've always been somewhat of like a tactile learner where I have to do something physically to get the most out of it. I can't like as much as I read and as much as I do different types of learning, if it's not applied in a physical way where I'm actually like doing the thing that I'm learning, I don't get much out of it. So I think for me, exercise was just the avenue that I connected with best of, I can really feel what's happening 
and I can really feel what I'm gaining and what I'm building. And then at the end of the day, like at the end of a year, it's like I produced something Mm -hmm. and all it took was showing up and making a contribution as often as I could. And then a result was inevitable. And then it didn't matter what the result was. It was just like, I can, I'm in control mm-hmm. of this, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, I think yeah. it's more important than anything else. And maybe that's what most people, when they say like, I want to lose 30 pounds, I want to fit into these jeans, I want to do whatever. It's just, I'm out of control. And I definitely don't have control over this. And my life would be better if I was put in a position where I could have control over my health. And maybe that's really what people are after. And the superficial goal is just a means to, if I was in control, if I had control, this is, this is what I would look like. This is the amount of weight that I would lose if, if my health was in my control. And maybe it's just the fear that that part of you that's critical to your happiness is, is slipping out of your fingers Mm -hmm. i think the the gym provides or like let's just say working out exercising lifting a weight gives you that immediate feedback of where am i at it can humble you but it also show you very bluntly 60 pounds is 60 pounds here and it's 60 pounds in russia right yeah so you know that this is where you're at and you have to be very honest with yourself and the one thing i love the thing that i get out of exercises mainly is that it shows me where I am and it also, but it also provides me with uh, an arena to improve and to practice myself. And I actually do get that feedback instantaneously. I know when I can't lift something, yeah. that's not everybody's goal is to go out and lift the most weight, but at least I know that, you know, this is where I'm at and this is where I can practice. And along the way, when I'm in the gym and I'm, I'm, you know, looking at a certain goal or a certain number that I'm trying to get, I know that I'm going to have to do something I haven't done before in order to get that. And I'm able to practice that every day at the gym. And then I can take that somewhere else. So that's what I get out of it. Cool. Yeah. So what are we here to talk about today? Man, we're talking about like a why. I really like the, this theme has come up a lot this week. Uh, I've got a lot of feedback from like the, the previous episodes, especially about goal setting. Right. And um, the one thing that, that I think doesn't get touched upon, especially in the fitness industry. Like, you know, if you think back to what we talked about the last previous episodes about the fitness industry, right? There's kind of this, this something, something fit, right? And this, this, this appearance is we don't really talk about kind of mental strength, developing mental strength, developing grit and avenues to do that. And, and practical, um, you know, how does one go about doing that? Why is that even important? Is that important? You know, these are kind of things that that we talk about today, as well as uh, Denver decriminalized mushrooms. <laughs> I saw that. Whoa. It's true. I don't know if that's a good or bad move, <laughs> we'll to see. be honest. But it's only Denver. It's a city. Yeah. And it's, how does that work? Yeah, I have no idea. And it's... Uh, and it's decriminalization, not legalization. Not legalization. So it doesn't mean like stores are just going to start no. selling no. magic mushrooms. It's that if you get caught with it, there will probably be some sort of reprimand, but you're not going to go to prison. Yeah. Which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Because crime that does not harm other people, I don't think is a crime you deserve to be going to prison mm-hmm. for or having your life turned upside down where like, you're not getting a job anymore yeah. because you did something that had nothing to do with anyone else aside from your own personal Yeah, the choice. penalty doesn't really fit the crime in that sense. Yeah, but we'll yeah. see what happens. I'm sure there will be some episodes uh, that are highly publicized that are not good. Yeah. Because that's something that is incredibly easy to use irresponsibly. And as fascinating as the medical research is mm-hmm. on uh, like improving psychological outcomes, comes uh like the work that john hopkins does with people who are at end of life in critical Mm -hmm. disease and how uh compounds like that ease their their exit out of life and all these things it's clearly something that can be incredibly value valuable in a lot of ways but Mm -hmm. also something that is incredibly powerful and when you buy the ticket to take that ride yeah you're on that roller coaster and there's no coming back till it's over so uh i think some people are gonna make some poor choices as far as that goes because okay well there's no legal consequence so maybe i'll try this thing but uh, i don't know if many people will know what they're getting themselves into yeah it's it's a 
it could be used as a tool and how you use that tool is completely up to you yeah yeah but anyhow anyways <laughs> so where do you want to start um looking at we you know physical strength is, is easy to to kind of see you can see the application of that in, in the weights or running long or whatnot but mental strength um in in your own experience uh you know you've competed before you've done high level athletics uh what was that like competing at high levels and what sort of strategies did you have to sort of get your mind going for that well first of all how it was is it was terrible <laughs> so i look back now and think if i had the mental resilience and endurance that i do now then I would have been a much better athlete. Yeah. Athleticism, work ethic, all of those things were never a problem for me. But I was one of those people where I always performed significantly better outside of competition mm -hmm. than I did inside of competition. And it didn't matter what the sport was, what I was competing in. Um, I always felt this pressure and anxiety that that sucked the life out of me. I never had the energy and competition that I did outside of it because mm -hmm. I don't know what it was. I think maybe I'm just uh, naturally an anxious person. And at that time of my life, you know, through my late teens, early twenties, it was probably where that, uh, where that, you know, quote unquote weakness was, uh, was most overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So in competition, it was just, there was always this expectation that was once external, but then became internal that like, I'm the person who performs. This is where my value is. This is something that's always come naturally to me. And if I'm not, uh, if I'm not the best person on the field or in the ring or whatever it is, then, then what, what's my value? Right. And I think I felt so much needless pressure that this is the thing that I have to be a person of worth that it it would just crumble me sometimes. Yeah. So for me, it, it was uh, it was awful, and I didn't really have any tools to deal with that. That was just my reality. That was the thing that was the problem for me that I never. It was the barrier that I never got over. And maybe it was because maybe I wasn't even interested in looking for ways to improve that because then I would have to face the fact that it was a problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. Totally. When it's easier, uh, especially when you're younger, when I was younger, it's easier just to ignore that mm -hmm. than to say, like, you're weak here. And I I would only say weak for myself at this point. I, it's not like if I think someone suffers from anxiety, they're a weak person sure. or that's a weakness. But when it comes to athletics and performance, that's just how that's sort of the scope of I would personally view it as right. That's the thing that's going to break first. Yeah. I so that's there. the thing that is, that is, that is weak inside of me. And I think just having that, uh, lack of self-confidence, I didn't want to stack that on top of it and, and look in the mirror and say, this is a problem and you're not good here. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. I think I would rather suffer with it every single uh, competition than, uh, than work on it because to work on it is to admit that I'm not good here. To face it and to yeah. face it. And it was, uh, it was really probably mid-20s, mid-20s to early 30s is when I really started to develop uh, tools and strategies. And I can't remember if there was just this pivotal moment or what it really was mm. that sent me down that path. But it's almost like what we were talking about with the gym. When I started to read certain books and connect with certain things and then apply them and then apply them long enough that I saw some sort of result, I was mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, there's a thing here that I can do. Like I have some power here. I have some control here. And then it was just, okay, well, what's next? What's next? What's yeah. next? And then I just got obsessed with self-improving in that part of my mm. life because as soon as I saw a strategy and I, you know, every day I just did something and worked towards that. And then I started to see a return. I was like, oh, this isn't just a bunch of horse shit. Yeah. If I do these things, my life improves. And then it was just, I never looked back from there. Um, and a lot of it was just, a lot of it was internal work and understanding that all of 
the pressures and problems and insecurities and everything that I put on myself would always be about other people, other scenarios, external circumstances. And when I learned and faced the reality that this is 100% me carrying this, doing this to myself, it's easy to make it external, but it's really all about me. Yeah. Uh, and coming to the realization that that's not, that's not a weakness, that's empowering. Because when I, the day that I admitted all these problems you have are because of you, I was able to see that as a sense of power where now you're in control. Now you can do something about it. Where when I was younger, I would see that as something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there was a lot of things that culminated into, into that. But that would be the turning point for me was realizing that this isn't a weakness. It's not about your character. It's not about your personality. This is This is core to the human experience. And when you realize that being the source of the issue is not a weakness it's a strength mm-hmm. and and to believe that right not just a thing to say that sounds good but to mm-hmm. to believe it at my core then everything changed yeah because then i wasn't afraid to be exposed i wasn't afraid to to dig into my deepest darkest issues bring them to the surface and do something about them yeah um and i think everyone has those things at some point in their life and they think like ah why couldn't I do that at this point in my life? But I always try to remind myself, like, just be happy that you're doing it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, we always like to think about, well, how would my life be different if I did this thing? Well, yeah, maybe to be different and maybe to be different in a bad way. You can't just always assume that, you know, if you took a different path, that means your life would be better. Like, my life's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I think we always have these romantic fantasies looking in the past. If I did this differently in school, if I did this differently in athletics, you know, I'd be leading this great, you know, impressive life. I don't think that's you reality. Don't and I don't that. think that. And I don't. Yeah. That's just not how that's statistically that's not the likely yeah. thing that would have happened. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe I play something at a really high. Like, let's say just kickboxing. Mm-hmm. Let's say I took kickboxing to the highest level possible. I was, you know, at that time in my life, it would have been like the glory days of K1. Maybe that's my life and maybe I reach the pinnacle of that particular sport and then maybe I get punched in the head 500 times by guys that are legitimate killers and maybe I get CTE and I lose my memory before the age of 50 and I suffer early onset Alzheimer's at a very early age where the second half of my life I might as well be dead. Mm-hmm. Is that a good th- is that yeah. good? So I try, you know, it's a bit of an aside, but I was trying to bring that back of, you know, these romantic fantasies of if you were a different person at this time of your life, think of what your life could have been. That does not mean that your life is better um, right now or in the future. Yeah. But anyhow, that's sort of when I think about resilience, endurance mentally, that's the hard thing. And that is the thing worth doing. Mm -hmm. And it's the thing that I can only speak from personal experience, but it's the thing that has changed my life more than anything else. Like lifting weights is easy as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Like even once you make some dietary changes, even, you know, changing the things you eat is easy. Uh, but looking in the mirror and saying like, what's the real problem in your life? Mm-hmm. And, and why is that your fault? And mm-hmm. what are you going to do about it every single day? And how are you going to stop hiding? I think that is the thing that people will go their whole lives and 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 never do and i get it because it's the scariest thing you would ever have to do to become the most complete version of yourself and i mean you see that too in in the gyms like you know i've been guilty of it for periods of time i'm doing the same thing because i'm getting complacent and then i'm 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 looking at myself going you know or, or why aren't I getting the results that I want when I'm doing the same things? And it's, it's, there are similarities between what you just said and kind of that same approach, right? It's that, you know, you haven't taken the chance or the time to actually look at, you know, what is it that can change? I don't want to address that. I just want to kind of be comfortable here and I'm good when it's comfortable. I think there's an element of, of fear, not only for failing, but, to see your your potential 
And obviously the fear of fail for me, the fear of failure is a major motivator. I do not want to fail. Right. I mean, I learn a ton from failing, but I don't want to fail. So I work hard. But there's also the element of, you know, if I were to do this and this and this, I could get there. I've had times in my life where I'm like, I'm almost afraid to get there because I don't know what that would be like. I'm afraid to almost see how far I can take this because that would mean leaving all this comfort that I have. And I think combat sports is a, is a great avenue for that because you have to evolve yourself. Otherwise, the consequences are, are very bad. Yeah, and it's easy to be a big fish in a small pond where you can win all the time exactly rather than expose yourself to the sorts of trials and tribulations that that build a stronger athlete and i I wanted to say something you know for you saying i'm afraid to fail so Mm. i'm gonna work hard enough that i don't have to expose myself to Mm. that failure i think most people it's the complete opposite they're afraid to fail so they are not even going to attempt the goal and I th- maybe it depends on your grade of fear of failure. But just like I, I didn't become a more resilient mind when I, was, uh, when I was an athlete because I just didn't want to face that part of myself. Mm, yeah. I think for most people, it's the same thing. That they, the reason why 9 out of 10 people who want to change their health will never even step into a gym is because... It's just, it's not even the realm of possibility that this is going to work out for them. They are going to fail when they think about this in their own minds. Mm. So they're not even going to step in the door because why even expose them? Why even get their hopes up about taking control of their health mm-hmm. when they're conditioned to believe that they are going to fail? Yeah. Um, so I think you're unique. Uh, and you would be in the minority of people who would say, I'm afraid to fail. Therefore, I do everything I can proactively to not face that. I think most people, it's I'm afraid to fail. So I don't even consider this being a thing that I need to work on. Yeah, It's not even on my radar. But there is a dark side to that as well, because then you can become obsessive over the fact that, hey, I'm going to do everything in my power so I don't feel that failure. And that can take you in a different road as well, right? Yeah. And then you also have to ask yourself, why am I the type of person that has to succeed? Why am Mm. I the type of person that has to perform? Mm. Why am I the type of person who has to be the effective individual, Mm. right? Because you're still deriving your value from an external thing. Correct. Accomplishment is external. Mm. It's not internal, right? Especially in this world, whether it's academics or athletics or any other sort of Mm. achievement, uh, that's all external. You shouldn't have to produce or accomplish anything to be a person of value. Um, so I think it's all a version of the same sickness when you mm-hmm. talk about, you know, b- being a hyper performer and I'm going to work super hard so I can do this thing and, and I'm never going to fail. There's, uh, you know, there's a there's a, a, a prognosis to that as well. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. Did you enjoy training? Do you enjoy training? Love it. You love it. I love it. I yeah. love like I love training. I love getting better. I love like when I can feel my body, it's like for me, it's instantaneous. It's the thing that I can do where I know immediately that I'm stacking something on top of something on top of something, whether you know it's athletics or skills, whatever it is. I know that every day that I come into the gym, regardless of what it is that I'm doing, if it's lifting, if it's a sport, whatever, Every day, I'm stacking something on top of what I did the day before. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's an endless road of improvement. And I've always looked at it that way. I've always strived to be better. And it's just an area in my life where I I immediately felt like I had control to better that part of myself. Mm -hmm. So that's why I love training. To me, it was never like a grind. It was never boring. Like, I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know how you hear people uh, talk about, you know, the, the grind is in the training and then you know, game day or fight day is like the day that you get to have fun. To me, it was the complete opposite. Yeah. Day of competition is the nightmare. Every every other day leading up to that, that's training is the magic. Yeah. Um, And then once it was, you know, once it was two weeks out and I couldn't ignore it anymore, 
I had anxiety every day. Every day. Every day, like problems eating, like mm -hmm. bad. Mm -hmm. I, it overwhelmed me. Like the thought, the thought of losing in front of people and not being the person that everyone thinks that I am and not being the athlete that everyone thinks I am was such a painful it's thought for me. Yeah. It's like if I lose, I don't know who I am. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and that was like, just imagine <laughs> what your life is like yeah. if that's what you believe. And yeah. it's like 100% that is what I believed. So to me, competition was the nightmare and training was the dream. And it's uh, it's still that way to this day. Even like friendly things that I do now, like if I do like grappling competitions, stuff like that, that doesn't really matter to me. It still matters to me. Do you find yourself, you, you can kind of, can you turn on that switch in competition and and take what you've just kind of said and are you able to apply that now more effectively? Well, here's the thing is that as soon as the competition starts, all that stuff is gone. Mm -hmm. All that anxiety, all of that stress, I'm just doing and mm -hmm. I'm in it and that stuff is not there anymore. Mm -hmm. It's all in the lead up, in the weeks out, day of, all of that, as soon as like the whistle blows, the bell rings, it's on, gone. Yeah, the door shuts. Yeah, it's you. All that stress, anxiety is gone. Yeah, it's all like it is. It is the epitome of anxiety in that it's all anticipatory. Mm -hmm. And as soon as the thing that I'm afraid of is happening, it's not there anymore. It's gone. It's become because it's, it's yeah. just it's it's me painting an irrational picture of things that are not going to happen. But I like I can't i can't help myself did you ever have anyone in your corner or anyone with you on that journey that would try to help you with that i would never let anyone know as no. far as everyone was concerned i was relaxed i Who might as well have been at home with my feet up on the couch yeah. i have no concern about yeah what's happening just ice cold and yeah outside. that yeah. was that's what i was trying to pretend to mm -hmm. be all the time which mm -hmm. i can only imagine made it worse because it was complete bullshit, mm -hmm. right? I'm the only people, like, everyone believed that, but I'm the person who knew, like, you're fragile. Yeah. Like, you are fragile. You are not what you are pretending to be right now. Uh, so, no, I never had help from anybody. And that's probably why I never, I never looked to resolve that part of myself, because then I would have to let someone in on that secret, mm. right? And that wasn't happening, because what did that, what does that say about me? If I admit to somebody like, hey, I'm a mess. You're weak. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is that? Yeah. Then, I, then I have to face that. <laughs> and, right. and I just wasn't prepared to do it. So going back, knowing what you know now, how would you have done things differently? I just would have relaxed. Like, win, lose, like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I've personally never held anyone's losses against them it's not like i've ever seen someone lose at anything athletic and that was and that was the mark that they left yeah right in fact like i love seeing people lose and get beat down and come back like it never happened like that's the story that's right the story. <laughs> that's the story that's you don't want to see people just win 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 like mm -hmm. it's not even interesting mm -hmm. You want to see someone face adversity and that person who comes back is the powerful person. Mm -hmm. That is the unique person. That is the exceptional human being. The person who can face that and, and instead of crumbling, say, okay, this is not happening again. Yeah. Things are going to change. Yeah. Uh, but I couldn't allow myself that that leeway, right? Because I was I, I just wasn't living in reality. I was living in the fog of my own stresses and anxieties and expectations that who knows where that stuff begins and ends and where it comes from and why certain people suffer or suffer mm -hmm. from certain emotional things. I mean, I'm sure there is a reason for that and having that inside of me. Um, so, yeah, if I could just go back, it would just I don't even think I understood then how much it was hurting me and that there was even any, I think if I thought there's something that could be done about this, maybe I would have done something about it. Do you think the Tommy, the, the 20 year old Tommy would have even been receptive to hearing? No, 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 no. Because that the admission of, of not being complete, it, it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. I wasn't like, it was not the time in my life 
where I would be able to handle that because it was my entire identity. Could have been a paradigm shift. Yeah. Everything that I thought is not it. And I got to fight in two weeks. So I'm not going to even think about that right now because I'm just going to stay the course. Yeah. And I see this all the time. And I've seen it all throughout my professional life with athletes. Is that the athlete who spends his entire young career without having to face adversity, being skilled, being a natural, picking up the sport, never really having to work to be good. As soon as they get to the level where there's some pushback, they fall apart. Yeah. So I see this all the time with guys who play, like guys who play hockey in the OHL who are first round draft picks into the OHL. A lot of those guys never get out of the OHL. They never get signed. They never get drafted outside of there because most of those guys were so good as kids and just had everyone telling them how great they were all the time that they have this idea of, oh, I'm the athlete who's just naturally good and I should be good at everything. And then when the day comes, when the other kids get bigger, stronger, faster, and competition grows, they shrink. Yeah. They don't stand up to that and go, okay, it's time to start working harder. It's time to start drilling more. Like, it's time, like, I'm not as good as I once was. I need to step things up. Usually they just shrink and they don't know what to do. And that, like, that was me. Uh, as, As soon as I'd face that sort of adversity where, someone or something challenged my natural ability it was like hold on i'm not supposed to be the guy that has to do these things to be this good yeah uh, i'm not the, the the person who who psychologically suffers leading into competition that like needs to talk to someone about this mm-hmm. as soon as i say that i'm that guy i'm not who i thought i was all these years and if i'm not that i don't know who i am and if i can keep that secret that's fine for me <laughs> right Sounds now. very, very reminiscent of, you know, maybe some experiences that people will have in the military anytime they go through very, you know, intense pressure. Yeah. Have you read the book Grit? I haven't. Uh, wasn't it a uh, woman who wrote that Angela book? Angela Duckworth. Yeah. Uh, I have it. So we could book exchange. Sure. Yeah, it's really good. Um, but basically, like, the, it opens up looking at the recruits from West Point. So uh, West Point is the, the academy in, in the U.S., right? Yeah. And uh, they, they take them through this hell week and they look at the recruits that end up dropping out. And it's funny. Basically, word for word, what you just said, it's the, the, the people that on paper were the top of the class that never had to really overcome adversity that ended up dropping out first it was the guys that had to bust their balls to get to where they're at that ended up staying the course and the book goes on to explore this this quality of grit how do you develop that um we're in a time now you know as a father you know you're looking at your kids looking to develop value and character within them as well um the challenges that we face we don't want to move away from those we want to move towards the challenge because that gives us an opportunity to learn and to develop that grit. And it just explores, I think she's a, she was a psychologist that uh, left practice to become a teacher or no, no, sorry, sorry. She was a, she's in wall street and she left that. She became a teacher uh, in the state. She went into these uh, inner city schools and then she started, she, she, start to see these little themes come on. Then she went into psychology and started developing, uh, you know, th- a thesis or, you know, these, this book, eventually this book on, on grit. It's fascinating. And uh, a lot of parallels that, um, that I see in my life too, in that overcoming that challenge or facing that challenge, whatever challenge is, don't run away from challenge, right? Yeah. Address it in some way. Yeah, and it's like, and it, they're also, in my experience, incredibly specific, right? Because when I think about if I went into SEAL training or something like that, where it's just pain and suffering, pain and suffering, let's see how much we can make these guys suffer and see how, like, the goal is let's see how many people we can break. I guarantee I would make it to the end of that training. 
like pain, suffering, all of that, like I'm all about it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's no problem for You're me. You're sick, man. Yeah, what it's about is if there's, uh, if there's something in front of me where I feel like people would expect me to be good at it, but mm. a part of me inside says, you're not as good at that as people think you're going to be, I won't even go there. Like, I wouldn't even try it. It'd be, I'm going to stick to doing the things that I know, that I only know that I can perform in because I'm not willing to be exposed. Because even though no one else would care, if it was like, if we went in and we did this thing, like, let's say I was 20 and we went bowling. Like, if I, if I didn't think I was going to be better at bowling than most of the people there, I wouldn't even go bowling. Really? Like, and that's just an example, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But it's like, if I think people would expect that I'd be a good bowler, mm -hmm. but I know that I'm not, I'm not going there mm -hmm. because I would think that everyone deep inside would be like, holy shit, Tommy sucks at bowling. I thought he'd be awesome. There's a, there's a, there's a flaw in his armor. <laughs> yeah. We're and, exploit it. And of course, no one would think that. Right. But that's what I think. Exactly. Yeah. So therefore, I believe that's what everyone else would believe about me. And I think at the core of everyone's sickness is that thing. Right, we have these incredible self doubts, and we think everyone else is going to think that about us. Like, just mm. think about the gym. I know so many people who have come here, sat in the parking lot for 20 minutes, and driven home and not even come in because of what they think other people are going to think yeah. about them in this environment, mm -hmm. which in reality is just they think certain things about themselves. And they put that on everyone else. Like the, the, all the negative things they think about themselves and believe about themselves, they think when they go into the gym, everyone else is going to see them that way. Mm. When in reality, everyone in the gym just wants other people to be happy and okay. And they mm. do everything they can mm. to support people. Mm. But in, when you, in your mind, you're like, I'm overweight. I'm unathletic. This is what I'm going to look like trying to work out. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be heaving. And everyone's going to be thinking like, look at this loser who can't yeah. like get it together and exercise. Yeah. When that's what you think about yourself, that is what everyone else thinks about you and how everyone else sees you. And that's, you know, the, that's the same thing that I dealt with. It's just how I felt about myself mm -hmm. for whatever reason. But to me, everyone else would also see me that way as well. Mm. Even though now I know in reality, that's not the case at all. I'm the only person who cares. I'm the only person who, who sees myself in that light. But mm. when you see yourself that way, you think that that's what everyone else's reality is going to be, which when that's how you think, you're never going to put yourself in those positions because you assume the entire room is going to be laughing at you. Mm -hmm. And this is like, I see this everywhere all the time now. Did you train abroad? Yeah. Yeah, both in, in rugby and in kickboxing. So uh, I was in Thailand for kickboxing, and then I was in Ireland for rugby. What was it like there? What did you see in terms of, like, you obviously saw some, some training methods. You probably trained hard, right? But what did you see in terms of, of the mental preparation? Did you were your eyes open at all to that at the time? Or? No, but I will say this. Being somewhere where nobody knew me, I... I did a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Like being somewhere where in competition, most people had no idea who I was. My friends and family weren't coming to watch. Like it was way easier for me to perform. It's like going back to your old town you grew up in and having everyone's expectation. You never fully leave that. It's like when you move to a certain area and you're by yourself, you're free to be whatever you want to create. Sure. Without any thought of these people don't know me they only see what i give them right now yeah that's that's pretty liberating right well it's like if i step into this ring and this guy kicks the living shit out of me no one has to know mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah and at that time this is uh like this is 2004 uh 2004 2005 for kickboxing and it's like it's like the internet's not even what it is now yeah. Like everything over there was dial up. I you could bear like I was there when the tsunami happened, not like in it. Really? Uh I was on the uh I was on the east side of the of the mainland. Um This is two thousand five? Two thousand four. Two thousand four, right, right. Um and 
three days afterwards, I didn't even know that it happened. Wow. And then I went to an internet cafe and got an email from my mother, several emails from her who can't get a hold of me, who's on the other side of the world actually seeing this thing happen. Yeah. And then finally I call her. I'm like, what is going on? And then she tells me. And then I kind of figured this all out. But like no matter what happened to be there in competition no one had to know yeah and to yeah. me that was incredibly powerful but in powerful in the in the sickest way yeah. <laughs> do you know what i yeah, mean yeah yeah i know exactly what you're yeah so uh to me it was advantageous to be overseas where i didn't feel like i had that pressure mm-hmm. um yeah but it, it clearly not not a, a good thing overall but uh but yeah that was my only real experience relating mm-hmm. to this there is that it was mm-hmm. easier when I, mm. the, the people that I worry about the most of what they think and feel about me, if they're not there and they're not witness to it, then mm. it's a lot easier for me to just go in and have fun. Yeah. yeah. And I think, especially with, with combat sports, the narrative is really important, not only to the crowd, but also to the the person who's stepping in the ring, right? Uh, I was listening to the podcast with Khalil Roundtree Jr. and, and yeah. Joe Rogan, right? And he was, uh, Joe's talked a couple times about, you know, why hasn't Muay Thai picked up in North America? And I thought about that too, right? Because like you and I both appreciate what that looks like, right? But it's not showing up on ESPN anytime soon. Um, I think that there's a lack of of narrative there, right? I mean, even someone who generally has an idea of the sport i still see two thai guys beating the shit out of each other in a cage somewhere far away i have no real connection to that yeah and i think what what makes the the combat sports very very popular at this point here is that you see elements of yourself in the fighters that you follow you see the guy get knocked out dust himself off come back after a year off and and claim the victory and that gives you that, oh my gosh, this is like, this is doable, right? It, this guy did it. I can, I can do that, you know? I want to, to do something like that. I think that that's essential um, in watching sports. I mean, you look at the Leafs, right? That's your team, right? You look at the Sox, that's my team. That's, there's... There's a connection there. I think it's missing with, with Muay Thai. I don't think there's a connection there, really. Well, it's not just that, but there's uh, there's not enough drama for North Americans in Muay Thai. You think it's too respectful? It's too respectful, and that's just not what North Americans are into. Like, look at the biggest fights there are. It's two shit talkers yeah, right. who pump it up. Yeah. The people are all... The average person is only interested in watching a fight where they want to see... a specific person get hurt like i want to see this guy lose or i want to see this guy win yeah those are the only fights the casual fan is interested in yeah uh like guys like me and you who practice this stuff Mm -hmm. so you know it's technically interesting to us people who don't practice this stuff they don't it's not necessarily going to be very technically interesting Mm -hmm. to them Mm -hmm. they need the drama of Oh, I hate this guy. Yeah. This guy seems like a total dick. I'd love to see him get his ass kicked by this guy. Very uh, and you're, that's just doesn't exist. Say this is the reason why any combat sports outside of boxing and MMA mm-hmm. have have difficulty cracking because uh, people don't know the personalities and mm-hmm. there aren't personalities that are strong enough and believable. Mm-hmm. And this is the only reason why Conor McGregor is the star that he is, is because he's unique and genuine in the charismatic and chaotic personality that he has Mm -hmm. it's not just like over the top flamboyant but it's 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 real too like that's who he really is and he's believable in that personality Mm -hmm. and that's why people want to see him um yeah so i just don't think they i don't think you have that in in other sports like we tie even to like kick like no one's watching kickboxing yeah 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 it's interesting because you, you get a guy like connor who it, it appears like he's built himself up to believe in his own hype and for sure he believes it it translates very well to what he does yeah yeah um, most of the time yeah. not lately no <laughs> no but he time. like he uh, but he walks he, into the ring thinking he's going to kick this guy's oh, ass. Oh yeah, he yeah. believes his own hype in in the most uh, 
positive and productive way, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. So he's, this is an example of someone who's been able to find just the right amount of, of stress um, or right amount of, of that fear to get him motivated to these, these hyper, hyperdrive levels. He's right? literally the opposite of me, yeah. I would think. <laughs> he, like, he does not suffer in competition at all. Mm-hmm. Like To him, the day of the competition is, this is my moment to prove everything I've been telling everyone about what's going to happen on this day, and this is exactly how it's going to go down, and he believes it. Do you think you can... Do you think you can develop yourself into that? Or do you think part of your part of you has to be that and then stoke the flame, you know, really just kind of fan the flames a little bit and grow that? Well, I think if you're too far one way, it's going to be pretty hard to move yourself in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And the environment that you have your entire life leading up until that point, I think is very important. Mm-hmm. Um a part of it being your personality, but a bigger part being the environment of how do people speak to you? Mm -hmm. What things have you faced Mm -hmm. from your family members to your coaches to the people that mentor you? I think those sorts of relationships are critically important to that type of person who's going to develop. Mm -hmm. Like I think if you have people around you who know how to talk to you in a way that number one allows you to truly believe in yourself and give you space to understand that you are not your skills. You are not your accomplishments. Like the core of who you are as a person of value is much, much deeper than all those things. And those are nice to have and perform at. But at the end of the day, they don't really matter, right? It's nice to be the best fighter on the face of the planet. But who are you as a person, as a brother, as a son, as a father, like those are the things that matter at the end of the day. And it's okay to face adversity, to rise and fall, to have ups and downs in this part of your life. And that's the part of your life where you should really have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, the core parts of your life where it's who you are as a person is mm-hmm. the place where you want real consistency mm-hmm. and all the ups and minimal downs, mm-hmm. right? You can't, you can't have, you know, a bunch of losses in real life, you know? You can't screw up 10 times in your marriage. You can't fail 10 times as a father as far as like big things that matter. Those are the like those are the places where you better be the person who's the person you want to be in those areas. When it comes to any sort of sport like who cares? You can lose a thousand times. There's no real consequence mm-hmm. to to your life and who you are. And I think if you're uh, if you're someone who understands that then, you know, if if your profession, if you as an athlete, all these outside things, if it's not your identity, I think you can thrive there. But if it's if being the high performer, whether you're, you know, a lawyer or a teacher or uh, or an athlete, if it's I'm only good internally, if I'm good in these external places and you can't separate those two, I think you're going to you're going to suffer. Yeah. It's 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 very personal, and you know I've worked with a lot of young athletes in the past, and a quote that I like is that better people make better athletes, right? But then you get somebody like John Jones, <laughs> right? And it it kind of makes you wonder that like you know you have this performance that is out of this world but would appear on you know outside of the stage things are falling apart so it is also funny that you know there's no real blueprint for any of this but if you can make it personal and you can understand you know what is it that you fear and what is it that you can work on then I think that that is kind of a way to to approach it all Right. Yeah. Whatever get whatever would get someone to the place where they go like for combat sports. I've done everything I can do. Mm-hmm. I've prepared as best as I can. Mm-hmm. I'm stepping in the ring. I'm going to do the best I can on this day. And whatever the result is is what the result is. Yeah. Whoever can have that mindset and believe it, that person is okay. They're at the epitome of psychological resilience. Right? At that point, it's nice to win. It's not 
it's a, like a loss is not critical. I've done what I can do. I'm just going to step in and see where my skills take me. Mm-hmm. And if I lose, then I have something to work off of and I get better the next time. Mm-hmm. That was never my attitude. My attitude was you cannot lose. Yeah. <laughs> like you cannot lose. And if there's a chance you're going to lose, you better find a way to get out of that thing. Because if you lose, that's what you are. Uh, and I think that's a pretty much the worst place you can be in any part of your life. And that wasn't really a, a motivator, eh? Like in terms of performance, mm-hmm. it did the opposite. No, yeah. Yeah. no, it wasn't yeah. a motivator at all. It was paralyzing. Yeah. 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 If I can look back, I wish I would have done jujitsu earlier. <laughs> Mainly because I could, you know, it's, it teaches you to, to be okay with being uncomfortable, right? Like yeah. this is not the death sentence that I thought it would be. I just going to tap out and guess what I learned. And it's, it's, it's taught me so much in terms of being resilient. Like if I look back to, to soccer, right? Like, you know, like the, the big build up. Oh, okay, here we go. Lots of pressure, right? I hope I kick the ball in the right direction. I don't mess up. Right. Right. So much. I feel like I could have done so much better on the field if I would have had uh, an avenue like jujitsu or, or even just kind of understanding that, hey, you feel uncomfortable. That's okay. You're here to learn. You're here to improve, right? Like yeah. I mean, we we're constantly doing that, right? We're learning. We're improving. We're training hard, but I think once you can kind of separate your yourself, your identity from your performance on the mat, that's when you start to have fun. And you gotta ask yourself too: Am I having fun, or am I doing this because I I need to to improve, right? Yeah. yeah. And in my experience, the things that I have legitimate fun doing are the Mm. things that i that i get the best at the fastest Mm. (laughs) is when when it's about fun and it's not about consequence and it's not about uh, performance and it's not about like being at a certain level when it's Mm. just like this is a fun thing that i like to do because i enjoy i enjoy every bit of it while it's happening Mm. those Mm. are the things that i get the most out of and I, you know, you can say, I wish I started jujitsu earlier, but if you started jujitsu earlier, would it have been that thing for you at that time? Maybe, maybe not. Hard to say. Maybe it would have ruined the experience for you and you wouldn't be doing it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know a single, I don't know a single professional hockey player who stops playing hockey professionally and even touches the ice after that. Really? eh? Yeah. They're done. They have no joy for the sport. It's nothing but a job. And when the day comes that they don't have to go to work anymore, there's no joy in the game outside of there. There can be joy in like coaching and passing that on, but those guys don't go and play hockey anymore. I'm sure it's like that for most sports. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Yeah. I think we touched the topics. Yeah. Um, Any closing thoughts, Tom? No, not really. I mean, I wish I could I wish I could give advice based off of my own experience. Mm. But it's hard to do because uh, I think it's pretty uh, everyone's experience while is very similar is also very unique at the same time. Uh, but if you can put yourself in a position to expose your weaknesses and understand that that is a strength and that is power and that is freedom and not the opposite of that. Uh, your life is only going to get better. So wherever that is in your life where you are avoiding exposing yourself in certain ways because you're afraid the result of, of, of being exposed in that way is going to be too painful for you to handle, that is exactly what you need to be doing. Um, and I think it's Jordan Peterson who turned me on to this quote, uh, what you want the most will be found in the place that you do not want to go. Uh, and that's an adaptation of a Latin phrase, I believe. Um, but it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing that is going to make the biggest impact in your life is going to be found in the place that you really do not want to go to. Uh, and I found that to be true from my experience. It's a great book, by the way. I'm on like rule three. <laughs> You've had that thing for like three weeks. Dude. You're on rule three. <laughs> I got what? <laughs> How many more do I got? Nine more rules. Hey man, yeah. life gets busy. Life gets busy. I'm 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 not flying through that one. I'm it's it's speaking it speaks to me. 
right? And I, I like to take my time with stuff like that. I like and it's probably unpack. better with yeah. books that way, yeah. where it's not like the goal to finish it. It's learn a little bit, try and apply it, get something out of mm-hmm. it. I can mm-hmm. do better reading books like that. It's a dense book too. Like, I mean, he it it's easy to read, but if you look at all the different domains that he draws from, you can go on rabbit holes of anthropology and history and theology and whatever philosophy, right? Yeah. So. I can't remember if I mentioned this when we were originally talking about the book a few podcasts ago, but uh, after I read that, I tried to read his book, Maps of Meaning. And I was just like, this is beyond me. But he, he says that too. He acknowledges that too. He says that Maps of Meaning is probably a little less easy to read than yeah, this Yeah, it's one. like beyond even an academic text. It's just like, I'm not getting anything out of this book. I'd have to Maps read it 20 meaning. times to have a basic understanding of yeah. the concepts that he's bringing to the table. Yeah. No, I'm enjoying it though. It's good. It's good. So. Good. All right. Thanks for listening, guys.